If you enjoy this show and want to get access to exclusive content and extra stories each month, go to patreon.com slash khp. The link will be in the show notes. KHP 011 Farm I used to be a farmer. They didn't call me Farmer Tom Reed, though. I was Old MacDonald around town. I'm not sure why they called me that, but probably had something to do with that kid's song. Anyway, I inherited my dad's land in Bedford when he went to be with the Lord back in 45. My brothers had gone on to fight the Nazis in the war, and I was the only one around to keep things going. Mom had passed about ten years prior, just after the Depression was over. When my brothers came back, we all worked the farm, paying things off and splitting the little money that we made. They each got caught up with a girl and stopped working on the farm, going on to have families of their own. I ended up marrying a girl that I went to school with, Emily. We had three kids, William, James, and Dorothy. I tended the farm while she raised the kids. My brothers would come around every so often to help out with some of the harder tasks like haystacking or the harvest, but for the most part it was just me and the neighbor boy, Mike, that I'd pay about a buck an hour to help out. He was 12 or 13 and trying to save up for whatever boys saved up for back then. Eventually, Mike left for college, and by this time the kids were old enough to begin helping out. I think they were around 8 or 9. I taught my boys how to drive a tractor, stack hay, run equipment, and take care of the animals. We kept cows, chickens, and I had two horses that we would ride around the land. We had about 300 acres that we farmed, bigger than a few of our neighbors' farms. I'm sure that if you went there today, you'd find the suburbs built their developments on top of the fields, or some crappy strip mall was built there. The farmhouse was torn down in 84 due to being, as the city said, a hazardous blight on the community. But this story ain't about me or my gripes with the city, or how my parents and brothers and their families turned out. It's about how I abandoned the farm, and no one ever took it over. See, it was April of 1962. I remember because I had just celebrated my 35th birthday. The kids were in their mid-teens and had really taken a liking to farming. Said they wanted to keep doing it after I couldn't. And I was proud of that. Anyway, as I was saying, our farm sat about an hour, about an hour's walk, outside of Bedford. At night, you could see the lights from town over the treetops that surrounded us. The farm was kind of nestled into this little patch of woods. Our driveway actually separated a majority of the fields. Dad did that so he wouldn't have to maintain more road than he needed. Every year, one side of the driveway was grass, never changing, and the other side would be split into different crops. Oats, corn, wheat, even soybean once. 
I remember one year that we were yielding about 80 bushels of corn per acre. More than anyone else around. And I guess we were just lucky. So, back to the way the farm was. You had our driveway that had a field on either side, with crops on one side, grass on the other. As you came up the drive, you saw our farmhouse on the left, barn on the right. Chicken coop was behind the barn as you came up. Spring house was behind the house. Kept everything separate and clean. One side was the house, one side was the farm. But I had a problem arising in 1962. The chickens kept disappearing. And not like a fox or something like that was getting them. I've seen that before. Blood and feathers everywhere. No, they just sort of upped and vanished. No pile of feathers, no blood, no nothing. I kept a keen ear every night, listening for the hens to get riled up from an intruder, but never heard it. I just had one less every couple of weeks when I did my daily counts gathering eggs. It was one of those mornings, you know, how they say April showers bring May flowers. It was one of those April showers kind of nights. When I had gone to put the chickens in for the night, it begun raining. When I woke up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, the sound of the rain pounding on our roof in the dark farmhouse was the only thing I could hear. When I woke up, it was quiet. A thick mist had begun to rise from the grass in the fields as the sun had begun rising and warming the air. I had gotten my clothes on and grabbed the bowl to gather eggs from the coop. I stepped out on the porch and after all that rain, the smell hit me. That, it's hard to describe, but that heavy, clean dirt smell. Like everything was refreshed. I looked out at the grass around the yard. The last of the snow from the winter was finally washed away with this rainstorm. I took a deep breath with the knowledge that planting season was coming, and I was getting excited to get back on a tractor. I walked across the yard, slipping a bit on the wet grass as I descended a slight slope towards the coop. I slid open the hatch to let chickens begin to file out as I walked around to the main door. As I went to open it, I realized that the chickens had not begun walking or running out like they normally did. I opened the main door to peer in, having the dry, dusty air hit me, a stark contrast to the wet air outside. I saw all the chickens in one corner, huddled together and breathing heavy. They seemed to be scared of me. I looked in the coop for some sort of animal that they may have seen like a snake or something that would scare chickens. But I saw nothing. I gathered the eggs, maybe getting a dozen or so, and closed the door softly, letting it latch behind me. I looked around the yard then, a new, eerie feeling hitting me like I was being watched. I had that tingle between your shoulder blades, something that told me to turn around. I turned and only saw trees and the misty darkness within them. The woods, while not a huge area, gave me an uneasy feeling like they never had before. I smelled something then, over the heavy rain smell. Something wrong. It smelled like wet animal. Like a dog's been outside and it rained, 
but you brought it in and dried it off with the towel and threw that towel in a pile and you smell that towel later when you walk by. I walked into the house and told Emily about what I had just witnessed and felt and she scolded me for getting jumpy over nothing. Just a misty spring morning. The boys and I did our daily chores of feeding cows and shoveling in a bit of coal for the furnace. We worked on getting tractors greased and inspected our planters and cultivators to get ready to plant in a few weeks. After lunch, we went into town to get a shipment of seed that I had ordered a month prior. I had some financial things to discuss at the bank and sent the boys into the grocery store to get a few things while I talked to the bankers. When we arrived at the farm again, William noticed it first. He pointed towards the coop and said, Dad, what's that on the chicken coop roof? I leaned forward slightly as a drove and saw what seemed to be a red and white lump on the roof of the coop. It didn't take me long to realize that it was a chicken that had been killed and left there. I threw the chicken off the roof and onto the ground. Its neck had been snapped and its wings torn off. I didn't know of any animal that would do that and not tear into the good, meaty part of the bird. I climbed down the ladder and onto the ground and felt a... I felt an almost static feeling, like a chill of cold and a spark of warm all at once on the back of my neck that told me I was in danger. It was a feeling I only ever had one other time, when I was almost hit by a car when I was ten. I looked around again, seeing my boys headed towards the house, with the chicken in a bucket, my wife coming out to see what was going on. I saw the barn, the red paint and the white trim standing out nicely in the sun, the fields that surrounded the driveways, muddy on one side and grassy on the other. The trees that nestled our little clearing. Tall centuries that just overlooked our every move. I knew something was in the woods, watching us. I just couldn't see what exactly it was. We lost two more chickens that week. One had its head ripped off, and the other had been thrown against the side of the barn, smattering of feathers and blood about nine feet up on the wall. The thing killing the chickens didn't seem to be doing much to eat them. The bodies of the chickens were still there, untouched. Whatever was killing them seemed to have a sort of intelligence to it. Emily saw whatever it was first. It was Sunday afternoon. We had arrived home from church, and Emily was preparing dinner while the rest of us changed from our Sunday best. I was upstairs in the bedroom when I heard her shriek. I stumbled down the stairs clumsily as I threw a shirt over my head. I ran into the kitchen and saw Emily staring out the window into the yard. She shouted at me, asking what it was, what it's doing there, where it's going. I looked out the window and she yelled that it was behind the trees by the coop. I strained my eyes looking for something, anything that seemed to be out of the ordinary. Then I got that feeling again. That strange, tingling danger feeling. My chest got tight and I suddenly saw the movement in the woods that I had been searching for the past weeks. A tall man stepped out from behind one of the trees, walking towards the left. 
he was covered head to toe in furs. He just walked slowly between the trees, not turning to look at us, and he eventually walked back into the darkness to a point that we couldn't see. That man must have been one that was killing my chickens. He's costing me all sorts of money. I called the police, and after about 20 minutes, the sheriff rode up our driveway, mud caking the tires of his car. He stepped out and asked me what the issue was. I explained the chickens going missing, and more recently the violent nature of deaths that we found around the property. The sheriff took notes and walked around. When we reached a spot where a chicken was found, I pointed it out and he looked around a bit more thoroughly, in case there was some sort of evidence, I guess. After his searches, we didn't really find anything of note. He told me at the moment there was not much he could do. They'll send a patrol around every day, just in the morning, to ease our fears. I thanked him and watched his car bounce and squish through the mud towards town. I was out at the chicken coop the next afternoon, doing some basic repair to a few boards that had been rattled loose over the winter winds. I had just finished nailing one of the last boards when I heard Emily call for me. I stepped out and around the coop and saw her leaning on the railing of the porch. I shouted to her, asking what she needed, and she asked me to walk over to the woods. She wanted to see something. I stepped to the edge of the woods, and I could see her hands moving, pointing, telling me to move to my right. I took a few steps, and then her voice echoed across the property, a few steps back. I took five or six small steps until I felt my back hit against a tree, causing me to almost topple to the side. I looked at Emily, and she had her hand over her mouth. I saw her cup her hands and then shout, Honey, lift your arm. I did and waited a few seconds before she waved at me to come back to the porch. As I stepped up onto the porch, I heard her mumbling to herself, How's he so damn big? What the hell's he standing on? She explained that she had this idea as she saw me walking to the coop. I stood roughly where we saw the man at, and I'm a shorter fella, maybe 5'5", five five, but she claims this thing was higher than my fingertips when I raised my hand, and that would have put him at nearly 7 foot tall. The man would have had to have been on stilts or a bucket or something for that to have been possible, and we didn't see anything on his feet as he walked. I saw it again, not too long after. It had to have been, let's see, at least two weeks since the first time we saw it when we were on the porch. I had just woken up at my usual time around five. The time had finally come for planting season. I hiked up my trousers and went to wake the boys up. As I stepped into the room to rouse them from their sleep, they had been spending the past few nights on the telephone talking to girls in town, flirting and courting their young ladies. I uh, nudged William's leg as he began to stir. I did the same to James. Uh, the head of his bed was under the window of their room. I looked out the window at the brightening yard, and I saw movement, a large, lumbering movement that caused me to jolt upright like I had plugged a cord into a socket wrong. I hissed at the boys to get up quick, that there was something in the yard, 
they sat up a bit quicker, like when you realize you slept in and all of that tiredness vanishes from your head in an instant. Will rolled out of his bed and James rolled over and climbed onto his knees. All three of us peered out the window, witnessing this figure stride across the property. What are we going to do about him, Pa? James asked. The younger of the two, he was still unaware that it was no man we were dealing with. The figure's tall stature reached easily to the eave of the chicken coop. We just silently watched as the... I don't even know if I want to call it a man fumbled with some of the boards on the shed that I had repaired only weeks prior. We could hear it grunt in frustration at my repairs and dug its fingers into a crevice, ripping a board off the coop entirely. Boys, stay here, I said to them, trying to sound confident but with a waver of nervousness in my voice. They were scared, and so was I. I walked through the house and opened the door of the porch loudly shouting and yelling as I left the kitchen. The hairy monster turned when it heard me and began running. The length between its steps must have been five to six feet, because within seconds it was in the woods and out of sight. Emily and Dorothy heard the commotion, and awoke to the sound of me screaming my head off like a lunatic. Will and James were trying to explain to them what happened. Emily was in shock that I would do something so, in her words... Stupid and devoid of thought. Dorothy understood what was going on, but was still too young to comprehend exactly what was happening. I grabbed my shotgun from the rack and loaded a shell into each of the barrels. I took the boys with me, and together we made our way to the coop to inspect the damage. When we got there, we heard the heavy breathing and noises of terror coming from the chickens that were still huddled tightly in a corner. I sent the boys to try and get them calmed down as I started to put the board back into its proper place. I saw that as I nailed the board, there were footprints in the soft dirt. My boots were putting obvious marks into the soil, but the prints that were visible and not mine were massive. Easily four or five inches longer than my boot, and two to three inches wider. I knelt down and looked at the footprints. They seemed to be of a barefoot person, but they were just massive. The sheriff arrived about a half hour after I called him, saw the prints, and was impressed with their size. I also informed him of the massive size of the man that we saw, how his head easily reached the overhang of the coop, over two feet above us. I felt as if I had lost the sheriff at that point. His demeanor changed from that of concern to that of pity and annoyance, as if he had just heard information that changed his entire view of me. Mr. Reed, I'm sorry, but I will not entertain this prank. I suggest you go inside for a bit while I leave. Have your breakfast and go about your farming. Don't get a hold of us again regarding this thing you say came onto your property. I tried to argue with him, telling him that we weren't lying or playing some sort of trick. We actually saw what we saw and he dismissed it, saying more than just us would have seen this eight-foot hairy man walking around the area. I watched, defeated as he drove back into town, leaving us on our own. We had two more encounters. It was the end of May. Our crops had been planted, and we were preparing to get our first cut of grass. 
The crops on the other side of the driveway had begun sprouting and showing the clean rows that the planter made. I took a gamble this year and planted a bit of extra corn rather than wheat or oat to try and give myself a bit of extra silage to sell to a few people in town. One of those nights in May, we had a horrible storm. Heavy winds knocked our house around like a wife caught cheating. We secured the barn and the chicken coop as best we could before hunkering down in our house for the night. When we stepped out the next morning, a couple trees had been knocked down all around the woods, and a small section of the field had washed out into our yard and driveway. I asked the boys to go around the perimeter of the field for the cows and make sure none of the fencing was broken or destroyed by trees. I didn't want the cows getting out and wandering into the woods. I walked around the yard, cutting limbs and moving branches into piles with a tractor for later. I inspected the barn and found that a tree had blown over and scraped the side of it, snapping a few boards and breaking a window. The coop somehow withstood the storm. I guess all of the repairs I made in the spring helped it not get blown away. I had nearly completed finishing the third tree's limbs when William and James came running back from the field, wide-eyed and yelling. They yelled that they saw it again. That big hairy guy that we saw by the chicken coop. I had them take a deep breath and explain exactly what had happened. They said they were walking by the field, seeing that there were two or three spots where branches had fallen and landed on wires, knocking over a fence post or two. They made it about halfway around the field when they saw movement in a bush near the edge of the woods. They saw something stand up. Tall. Whatever it was was super tall. They watched as it sat there, staring at them. It had these brownish-yellow eyes, and they could smell something foul on the wind as it blew into their faces. The beast stood there, looking at them for a few minutes before taking a step or two towards them. Stepping over the fallen fence, Will and James took off like a bat out of hell then, pardon my language. They hightailed it straight back to the yard and found me. James said that he looked over his shoulder a few times and saw the beast still walking towards them. It moved much faster than they did. It seemed to turn around once it realized it wouldn't catch them before they made it to the yard. They had a pretty large head start. I didn't let my kids out of my sight much after that. It wasn't long, though, after that encounter we moved out. See, I don't know if the thing out there became brave, desperate, angry, or some sort of combination of all three, but but something drastic on the beast's end caused my family to sell everything that we owned. The cows, the chickens, and farming equipment, and the property. June 27th, that same year. The boys and I had finished hauling in the hay from the fields for that day, and went to eat dinner with Emily and Dorothy. Meatloaf and peas. I remember that meal. I had a glass of water and a bottle of beer as well. We talked, trying to figure out what we were going to do the next day. Then we heard a thump. Like something falling from high up and landing in dirt. A muffled thud, I guess. Like you took a fist and pounded on dirt as hard as you could. We all turned towards the backyard where the noise had come from. I stood up from my seat at the table and went over to the window to see what caused the noise. Cupping my hands around my eyes and peering out the window, I saw the large figure of the beast standing back at me, its large form hulking in size compared to mine. I saw a 
glistening glint of the dining room light reflecting in its eyes, showing the ping-pong ball size of them. I told William quietly to get the gun. When he began to ask questions, I scolded him, saying, Don't ask questions now, boy. Go get it. I made my moves slowly, to not alert the thing outside. As Will ran into the other room, I began to hear that creature breathing. Heavy, labored breaths that sounded like a cow about to give birth. In a split second, I saw the light from the floor above us turn on, shining almost directly onto the monster. I saw its matted, tangled brown and black hair illuminated by the light. Its yellow eyes looked up, and the beast took three full-length strides towards the house before jumping, slamming onto the side of the building and clambering up onto the roof. I heard Will shout, and the sound of breaking glass, and the thudding of heavy footsteps entering. I heard the lighter steps of my son running down the hallway and almost sliding down the stairs as he half fell into the bottom. His eyes were wide and his face was pale as he tried to explain what was happening. We all heard the sound of the steps moving through the hallway. I shouted for everyone to get in the truck. Emily, James, and Dorothy sprinted from the kitchen. I heard the jingle of keys as one of them grabbed it from the hook. Will ran to me, opening his mouth to speak, but I pushed him towards the door, and together we ran out towards the darkness. The headlights of the truck flashed on as the engine roared to life, nearly blinding me and Will. We heard the beast in the house still, crashing and breaking everything. I heard more glass break, and Emily shrieked. I looked over my shoulder and saw the form of the monster climbing through what was left of the front door. Will and James were in the back of the truck and the girls and I were in the front. I pressed the gas and spun dirt and grass as we slowly turned away from the house, the light shining directly at the beast who, at this point, was beginning to run off the porch. We sped down that driveway faster than I ever had before, dodging potholes while hearing the thundering steps over the sound of the engine and tires. Then the noise stopped, and in the brake lights I could see a figure standing still in the driveway light illuminating its eyes in a ghastly red. We spent the night at a local motel, and we slept huddled together as a family, trying to process what had happened. Emily and I discussed what we would do. We came to the conclusion that we would sell everything, take what we could, and move somewhere else. I had heard that Altoona was nice and not too far away. We returned the next morning, and walked through the house before anyone else saw the damage the monster had done. Stepping through the front door, which was in pieces, I saw the destruction. Things were knocked off the shelves. Bannister on the stairs was broken, and glass had been shattered everywhere. The beast didn't seem to rampage through the house long, just chasing Will and running down through the front door. But the size of the monster caused it to just crash into just about everything in its path. We sold the livestock and the property. The farmers around town were eager to buy up the equipment I had for sale at lower prices than usual. The people that bought our land didn't want to move in on it. They just wanted to farm the land and use buildings for storage. They didn't seem to care about the damage of the house or what caused it, and I wasn't about to let the sale pass by due to an unbelievable story. The property became abandoned after about ten years. When I asked around, people said that the owners just stopped working on it. I know the reason they left, though. The disappearing tools, damaged buildings, 
strange large footprints in the mud. I'm not sure what happened to that beast. After a while, the property became abandoned and the county took it over for taxes. Soon, a businessman bought the land and turned it into a development of pristine homes for the middle class. The creature on our farm had to have moved on, as I heard no mention of sightings after we left the homestead. I still continue to believe, though, that it's out there, somewhere in the forests of Pennsylvania. <laughs>